This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hello, my name is Gail Ellis and I'm Dean of Admissions at Suffolk University Law School. As part of an ongoing series in which our faculty comment on current events, Professor Valerie Epps will be speaking with Ian Mankini of the Law Admissions Office regarding the recent arrest and possible extradition of film director Roman Polanski. Professor Epps spoke on this topic earlier this week on WGBH and NPR. Professor Epps has written extensively and her book on international law is now in its fourth edition. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ian Mankini. I'm from the Office of Admissions here at Suffolk University Law School. I'm lucky to be joined by Professor Valerie Epps, who is the director of our international law concentration, who is going to be speaking with us today about the extradition of Roman Polanski, the film director uh, who was recently arrested. Professor Epps, thank you for your time today. If you could briefly introduce the topic to our listeners. Well, as probably everyone knows by now, Roman Polanski is a famous film director. He has both French and Polish citizenship, and he was convicted in a California court in 1978 of having sex with a 13-year-old girl, what we call statutory rape. He was actually charged with six felony counts, and he pleaded guilty to one of those counts. And he alleges that there was an agreement between his lawyers and the prosecutor that it would be agreed that the sentence should be 42 days in prison. At the time when the agreement was allegedly made, he had already served 42 days in a state psychiatric prison, so if the agreement had gone forward on the sentencing, he wouldn't have had to spend any more time. In any event, for whatever reason, his lawyers got wind of the fact that perhaps the judge was going to not accept the plea, or if he had tentatively accepted it, it's a little unclear whether he did tentatively accept it or not, he had or may have decided that 42 days wasn't going to be enough. At that point, by some means or another, Roman Polanski fled the United States and went to live in Europe. That, of course, was over 30 years ago, and I don't know at what point the California authorities decided to put out some form of an arrest warrant for him. My understanding is that they did that a number of years ago. notion of that is that that goes on a list so that any state with which we have an extradition treaty if they know he's coming into the country, will provisionally arrest him and hold him for a certain number of days to see if the United States, in fact, wants to carry out an extradition request. And that's really where we are now. The Swiss, of course, knew that he was coming to Zurich to receive this lifetime award for his services to the film industry, and consequently they have provisionally arrested him. I'm not quite certain whether the extradition request has been made. The extradition request has been made by our State Department. The federal authorities do the extradition request. And as you know, questions have arisen about why he lives in France. Why have we not sought his extradition from France? We do have an extradition treaty with France, but there is a provision in it under which France does not have to extradite its own citizens. 
there is also a provision that says if France doesn't extradite its own citizens, then it should go ahead and prosecute them. But of course, that's only possible if they have jurisdiction over the crime. And it's probably doubtful that they would have jurisdiction over a criminal offence that took place in California. They might, insofar as some countries do assert criminal jurisdiction over all their citizens, regardless of where the crime is committed, but I don't think France does that. So they wouldn't have had any jurisdiction to try him. And my guess is that France had let us know that they would not be extraditing him. Then a question has arisen as to, since he owns a holiday home in Gstaad in Switzerland, and apparently goes back and forth quite frequently from France to Switzerland, why have the Swiss authorities only picked him up now? And I think the answer to that is that the Swiss authorities generally would not know when he is travelling from France to Switzerland because both France and Switzerland are part of what we call the Schengen Treaty area. And that's an area basically where people usually, it's inside the European Union, they don't have to show their passports when they travel between countries. When they enter the Schengen area, they do first have to show their passport, but then when they move within the treaty area, they don't have to show their passport. So probably the, the Swiss authorities wouldn't necessarily know that he was there. But of course there was a lot of publicity about his going to Zurich this time. One more question that comes up with respect to our treaty with Switzerland is that there is a provision in Article 2 which says when the request for extradition relates to a person who has been convicted, the extradition shall be granted only if the duration of the penalty or detention order or their aggregate still to be served amounts to at least six months. In fact, uh, Polanski has been convicted because he pleaded guilty and was convicted of that one count. But the difficulty is we don't know what the sentence will be because he hasn't yet been sentenced. My guess is that the Swiss might say, well, why don't you just go ahead and sentence him and then we'll see whether he does or doesn't fit under this provision. And I think the answer to that by the California authorities will be that at least usually, and perhaps under California statute, the defendant has to be present when the sentence is read. Although I don't know that that's a necessary requirement if the defendant waives the requirement and simply says, well, my lawyer will be there and I don't want to be there. But I don't know the specifics of California law. Now, if that were the case, then perhaps the court should go ahead and simply decide what its sentence is going to be, and obviously listening to the arguments that might be made by Polanski's order. And if, in fact, the decision is to sentence him to less than six months of the remaining sentence, at least, then that would take care of that provision. But the problem is now, of course, that there are two crimes one is the statutory rape crime, but the other is fleeing from justice. I don't know if he's even been indicted on that. Perhaps he has, but he certainly hasn't had a trial on it, and he certainly hasn't been sentenced on it. So my guess is that 
probably if the United States does go ahead with an extradition request, it will in fact be requesting extradition on two charges, not just the statutory rape charge, but the fleeing from justice charge. So it's possible that the origination of this is the brazenness of Polanski's appearance? Well, it's difficult for us to know what the motivation of the California authorities choosing this moment to go ahead with the extradition request. But they say that they had, on a number of occasions, when they had heard that Polanski was going to a state with which we had an extradition treaty, they had stood ready to ask the local authorities to arrest him and to go ahead with the extradition request. But they maintained that somehow or other, Polanski always seemed to get wind of the fact that this might happen, and then he didn't go to the particular country with which we have an extradition treaty. But again, it does leave open the question, why now, after 32 or more years, and particularly in this case, of course, statutory rape is a very serious crime, but in this case, of course, there has been a civil settlement with the victim many years ago, And the victim, of course, has made herself name public, has gone on television saying that she wants the whole thing ended, she doesn't want him prosecuted anymore, and as I understand it, she's also filed a motion to dismiss the whole thing in the California courts. So it seems a little unusual, let's say, why they're going ahead with this now. So is there a unique aspect of this case that you feel really stands out to you as an international law professor? Well, legally, I don't know that it stands out. Of course, I think what makes it stand out in everyone's mind is the person who is being sought. And of course, he's had a somewhat tragic life. His mother, I think, died in Auschwitz. His wife, who was pregnant at the time, Sharon Tate, was murdered by the Manson family. He's had this swirl of publicity around him and this sort of tragic past as well, which sort of adds to the interest. But I think as a legal matter, it's not particularly unusual. I suppose the unusual part of it is that he got to flee. I don't quite know how he managed to flee, unless perhaps he was out on bail at the time. I'm not exactly sure. He'd been committed to a state psychiatric prison and had been under observation for 42 days. And the allegation was that that was going to be the sentence that was recommended by the prosecutor. Now, of course, Polanski's lawyers have also filed suit accusing the prosecutor in that case of prosecutorial misconduct. And the judge that's hearing that said that he wouldn't go ahead with the claim unless Polanski was in court in a claim of that nature. I don't know that usually the claimant has to be in court. But I think that issue is now being appealed. The issue about whether he has to be in court in order to pursue that claim is now being appealed in the California courts. So do you see a a resolution to this anytime soon? As I understand it, Polanski's lawyers have sent a request to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. She is the one that in the whole extradition proceedings has to sign off on all of this. Extradition is an unusual type of legal proceeding. We, for example, usually think in our 
system that when it comes to legal proceedings, it's courts that have to have the final say. And that is almost always true under the case and controversy interpretation of the Constitution, at least in the federal courts, and we have similar language in the state court constitutions too. But extradition is an odd situation. You can have a situation, for example, where a court in the United States will say that a particular defendant, respondent we call them, can be extradited. But if the Secretary of State says they are not to be extradited, then they cannot be extradited. And some people may think that this violates the case and controversy provision of the Constitution, but it's never been held to do so. It doesn't work the other way around. If a court rules that the person cannot be extradited, then the Secretary of State doesn't have the power to say, oh yes, they can be. But it does work if a court says they can be extradited, but before they are extradited, you must get the say-so of the Secretary of State. Now, similarly, I think the request for extradition does have to come from the State Department. And so I believe I'm right in saying that the Secretary of State has the discretion to choose not to request the extradition. But of course, simply refusing at this point not to seek the extradition wouldn't be a final resolution for Polanski, because of course Polanski would like to be able to move about the world freely and not have this sword of Damocles hanging over his head. And he may well like to come to the United States too. So I think he would be looking for not just that this particular Secretary of State will not seek his extradition at this time, but he'd want a permanent agreement. And I think you're only going to get that if you've got some sort of permanent sentencing and agreement of some sort. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.